Today, and welcome to the Apple Q2 FY 2022 earnings conference call. Today's call is being recorded. At this time for opening remarks and introductions, I would like to turn the call over to Tejas Callas, Director of Investor Relations and Corporate Finance. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. Speaking first today is Apple CEO Tim Cook, and he'll be followed by CFO Luca Maestri. After that, we'll open the call for questions from analysts. Please note that some of the information you'll hear during today's discussion will consist of forward-looking statements, including, without limitation, those regarding revenue, gross margin, operating expenses, other income and expense, taxes, capital allocation, and future business outlook, including the potential impact of COVID-19 on the company's business and results of operations. These statements involve risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results or trends to differ materially from our forecast. For more information, please refer to the risk factors discussed in Apple's most recently filed annual report on Form 10-K and the Form 8-K filed with the SEC today, along with the associated press release. Apple assumes no obligation to update any forward-looking statements or information which keep as of their respective dates. I'd now like to turn the call over to Tim for introductory remarks. Thank you, Tejas. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Apple is proud to report another record quarter with a March quarter revenue record of $97.3 billion, up 9% from a year ago and better than we anticipated. iPhones, Mac, and wearables home and accessories had their best ever March quarter and services set an all-time record on the strength of subscription growth over the past year. Before I get into details, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the humanitarian tragedy unfolding in Ukraine. We're continuing to do everything we can to support our teams in the region, and we are donating to humanitarian efforts on the ground. We've also committed to donating products to support refugees arriving here in the United States. I also want to speak to the unpredictable nature of the pandemic. We're excited to be welcoming employees back to the offices in the U.S. and Europe. At the same time, we are monitoring COVID-related disruptions in China. Our thoughts are with all those in the path of the virus, and we remain as committed as ever to doing our part to help protect people and their communities. These times remind us that we cannot know what the future may hold. But they remind us, too, that technology infused with humanity makes a real difference in the world. And that's where our focus has remained, on driving the innovations that can enrich people's lives. Throughout the quarter, Apple continued its streak of unparalleled innovation at an unmatched pace. With Apple Silicon, our teams are pushing the limits of what we once thought possible, and we are seeing leaps and bounds in performance and efficiency. Last month, we announced another breakthrough with M1 Ultra, the world's most powerful chip for a personal computer. The incredible customer response to our M1-powered Macs helped propel a 15% year-over-year increase in revenue despite supply constraints. We now have our most powerful Mac lineup ever with the addition of the entirely new Mac Studio. Paired with a new studio display, a 5K resolution display equipped with its own A13 Bionic chip, this new desktop and display transform any workspace into a creative powerhouse. 
As we released the groundbreaking M1 Ultra, we also expanded our iPhone offerings, adding two beautiful green finishes to the iPhone 13 lineup and introducing the new 5G-enabled iPhone SE, which is great for our existing users who want a smaller iPhone and a great value for people buying an iPhone for the first time. They love how much power and performance we've injected into such an affordable device and rave about its incredible camera and its lightning-fast speeds. In the March quarter, iPhone revenue grew 5% over the previous year despite a challenging compare as we saw strong demand from our customers for the iPhone 13 family. And with the all-new iPad Air supercharged by M1, iPad brings more power and more versatility across the entire iPad lineup. For customers around the world, iPad continues to be essential for education, creativity, and entertainment. That's why we're continuing to see such a strong demand for iPad, even while navigating the significant supply constraint we predicted at the start of the quarter. Turning to wearables, home, and accessories, we are pleased to see these products continue to delight our users, growing 12% year over year. Customers are enthusiastically taking charge of their health with Apple Watch Series 7 and Apple Watch SE. The rich sound, beautiful colors, and compact design of HomePod Mini continue to make it a hit with customers. And there's still no better companion to Apple Music than AirPods, with spatial audio that transforms the way we listen, putting our customers right in the center of the music. The seamless integration of hardware, software, and services is at the center of our work and philosophy at Apple. Apple services are designed to be easy to use with expert curation that brings our users compelling content from talented developers, creators, storytellers, and artists. These principles are reflected in all of the services we've developed, which continue to generate incredible enthusiasm from our customers. Services revenue rose to $19.8 billion in the March quarter, reflecting a 17% increase from a year ago. We were especially excited to cheer on CODA as it won the Academy Award for Best Picture, making Apple TV Plus the first streaming service to win in this category. We were honored to be stewards of this incredibly powerful, deeply moving film. In a little over two years, Apple TV Plus shows and movies have earned over 240 awards and more than 960 nominations. From Severance to Recrash to Pachinko, new Apple Originals are connecting with audiences and earning praise from critics. We're also winning over sports fans with Friday Night Baseball, which debuted earlier this month, and They Call Me Magic a four-part documentary that premiered last week tracing the life of the iconic Magic Johnson. Fitness Plus is helping users channel their inner athlete with a range of workout routines for any fitness level. We recently introduced a postpartum routine designed by mothers for mothers. And with our Apple Starting Movement Study, we are helping researchers glean new insights into cardiovascular fitness. As our products and services entertain customers and help them stay healthy, we're also working to make their lives easier. Arizona, for example, is the first state to enable its citizens to securely add their driver's license and state IDs to Apple Wallet. 
More states and the territory of Puerto Rico will soon follow. We've also announced plans to introduce tap to pay on iPhone, a simple and secure way for businesses to accept contactless payments launching across the U.S. later this year. To meet the needs of customers wherever they are, our Apple retail teams are constantly adapting to better serve them. We opened a new store in the United Arab Emirates this quarter at a unique waterfront location with panoramic views of the Abu Dhabi skyline. And earlier this month, we opened a new store in Korea, our third and largest store in the heart of Seoul. And across the U.S., we marked the return of in-person Today at Apple sessions with a special program featuring music from pop icon Lady Gaga. I'd like to thank our team members working in Apple stores, customer care centers, channel partner stores, and our Apple care teams for bringing customers the best of Apple. As we look to the environment, we are making good progress on our commitment to achieve carbon neutrality across our products and supply chain by 2030. Through our Green Bonds program, we're investing in breakthrough technologies like low-carbon aluminum, which we will be integrating into the new iPhone SE. And we were pleased to announce recently that we've nearly doubled the number of our top suppliers who have committed to accelerating the transition to clean energy. We are also investing in renewable energy projects in communities most impacted by climate change around the world. As we do our part to protect our planet, we're also prioritizing people. As part of our longstanding commitment to inclusion and diversity, we're continuing to build a better, stronger apple rooted in a culture where everyone belongs. Last month, we published an update on the progress we've made with inclusion and diversity in Apple. We've hired more women than ever into leadership roles. And in the U.S., nearly 60% of all leadership openings were filled by people from underrepresented communities in 2021. We also recently announced a $50 million supplier employee development fund that will help workers in our supply chain discover additional educational opportunities and build new skills. And through our racial equity and justice initiative, we're continuing to advance our work to support underrepresented communities and help build a more just and equitable world. Before I hand it over to Luca, I want to acknowledge the challenges we are seeing from supply chain disruptions driven by both COVID and silicon shortages to the devastation from the war in Ukraine. We are not immune to these challenges, but we have great confidence in our teams, in our products and services, and in our strategy. Fundamentally, our work is about making technology that enriches people's lives and unlocks the full creative potential of humanity. And though the twists and turns of the future may be uncertain, what is certain is that we will never stop striving to be a force for good in the world, in everything we do and everything we are. With that, I'll turn it over to Luca. Thank you, Tim, and good afternoon, everyone. We are pleased to report very strong financial results for the March quarter, during which we set a revenue record of $97.3 billion, up 9% year over year. We also set new March quarter records in the Americas, in Europe, and in Greater China. On the product side, revenue was $77.5 billion, up 7% over a year ago, and a March quarter record. We grew in each of our product categories, except 
iPad, which remains significantly supply constrained throughout the quarter, and we set March quarter records for iPhone, Mac, and wearable home and accessories. This level of safe performance, combined with unmatched customer satisfaction and loyalty, helps our installed base of active devices reach an all-time high for all major product categories as well as geographic segments. Our services set an all-time revenue record of $19.8 billion, up 17% over a year ago, with much quarter records in every geographic segment and services category. Company gross margin was 43.7%, down 10 basis points from last quarter. A seasonal loss of leverage and unfavorable foreign exchange were partially offset by favorable mix. Product's gross margin was 36.4%, down 200 basis points sequentially, mainly driven by seasonal loss of leverage and FX. Services gross margin was 72.6%, up 20 basis points sequentially, due to a different mix. Operating cash flow of $28.2 billion, net income of $25 billion, and diluted earnings per share of $1.52 for all March quarter records. These strong March quarter results capped a record first half of the fiscal year in the midst of a challenging macroeconomic environment. We generated over $220 billion in revenue, growing 10% year-over-year, and set all-time records for iPhone, Mac, wearable home and accessories, and services. These record sales results drove strong double-digit growth in operating income and earnings per share. Let me now get into more detail for each of our revenue categories during the March quarter. iPhone revenue grew 5% year-over-year, so March quarter record of $50.6 billion, despite supply constraints. Thanks to a continuous strong customer response to our iPhone 13 family and the launch of our new iPhone SE. We set March quarter record in both developed and emerging markets, and the latest survey of U.S. consumers from 451 Research indicates iPhone customer satisfaction of 99% for the iPhone 13 family. As a result of this level of sales performance, combined with unmatched customer loyalty, the iPhone active installed base reached a new all-time high across all geographies. For Mac, revenue of $10.4 billion was a much quarter record despite supply constraints with 15% year-over-year growth, driven by strong demand for our N1-powered MacBook Pro. As Tim mentioned earlier, our continued innovation and investment in Apple Silicon has clearly shown in our Mac results as the last seven quarters have been the best seven quarter ever for Mac. Our investment focus on Mac has also helped drive significant activity in our growing install base. In fact, we had a March quarter record for upgraders, while at the same time nearly half of the customers purchasing a Mac were new to the product. iPad revenue was $7.6 billion, 2% year over year. You can to continue supply constraints. Customer response to our iPad lineup, including our new M1-powered iPad Air, remains very strong, and our installed base of iPads reached a new all-time high during the quarter, with over half of the customers purchasing an iPad during the quarter 
be new to the product. Wearables, home, and accessories set a March quarter record of 8.8 billion, up 12% year over year, and we set March quarter revenue records in both developed and emerging markets. In particular, our wearables business has doubled in three years and is mainly the size of a Fortune 100 business as we continue to attract many customers who are new to wearables. For instance, Apple Watch continues to extend its reach with over two-thirds of customers purchasing an Apple Watch during the quarter being new to the product. Turning to services, as I mentioned, we reached an all-time revenue record of 19.8 billion, up 17%, with all-time records for the App Store, music, cloud services, and Apple Care, and much further records for video, advertising, and payment services. These impressive results reflect the impact of our continued investment in improving and expanding our services portfolio and the positive momentum that we're seeing on many fronts. First, our installed base has continued to grow, reaching an all-time high across each geographic segment and major product category. Next, we continue to see increased customer engagement with our services, our transacting accounts, paid accounts, and accounts with paid subscriptions all reach all-time highs during the March quarter in every geographic segment. Also, paid subscriptions continue to show very strong growth. We now have more than 825 million paid subscriptions across the services on our platform, which is up more than 165 million during the last 12 months alone. And finally, as Tim highlighted before, we continue to improve the breadth and the quality of our current service offerings while launching new services. In the enterprise market, many businesses and government organizations continue to turn to Apple for the latest technologies to deliver innovative services to customers and employees. In March, Alaska Airlines began to replace the conventional airport self-service kiosks with iPad Pros for faster passenger check-in and self-check drop. Also, last month, the Western Australia Police Force completed the world's first commercial deployment of CarPlay across their entire fleet of vehicles to complement the iPhone 13 issued to each officer. This allows officers to access critical information faster on the road and enhance public safety for the community. We also unveiled the general availability of Apple Business Essentials in the U.S., having a new subscription services designed to help small businesses manage every aspect of their Apple device lifecycle. Let me now turn to our cash position. As we continue to generate very strong cash flow, we ended the quarter with $193 billion in cash and marketable securities. We repaid $3.8 billion in maturing debt while increasing commercial paper by $2 billion, leaving us with total debt of $120 billion. As a result, net cash was $73 billion at the end of the quarter. We returned nearly $27 billion to shareholders during the March quarter. This included $3.6 billion in dividends and equivalents and $22.9 billion through open market repurchases of 137 million Apple shares. We also retired an additional 5 million shares in the final settlement of our 18th ASR. Given the continued confidence we have in our business now and into the future, 
Today, our board has authorized an additional $90 billion for share purchases as we maintain our goal of getting to net cash neutral over time. We're also raising our dividend by 5%, to $0.23 cents a share, and we continue to plan for annual increases in the dividend going forward. As we move ahead into the June quarter, I'd like to review our outlook, which includes the types of forward-looking information that Tejas referred to at the beginning of the call. Given the continued uncertainty around the world in the near term, we are not providing revenue guidance, but we are sharing some directional insights based on the assumption that the COVID-related impacts to our business do not worsen from what we are projecting today for the current quarter. We believe our year-over-year revenue performance during the June quarter will be impacted by a number of factors. Supply constraints caused by COVID-related disruptions and industry-wide silicon shortages are impacting our ability to meet customer demand for our products. We expect these constraints to be in the range of $4 to $8 billion, which is substantially larger than what we experienced during the March quarter. The COVID-related disruptions are also having some impact on customer demand in China. With respect to foreign exchange, we expect it to be a nearly 300 basis point headwind to our year-over-year growth rate. Additionally, we pause all sales in Russia during the March quarter. This will impact our year-over-year growth rate by approximately 150 basis points. Specifically related to services, we expect to continue to grow double digits, but decelerate from our, our March quarter performance due to some of the factors I just described. We expect gross margin to be between 42 and 43 percent. We expect OPEX to be between 12.7 and 12.9 billion dollars. We expect OINE to be around negative 100 million excluding any potential impact from the mark-to-market of minority investments, and our tax rate should be around 16%. Finally, reflecting the dividend increase I mentioned earlier, today our board of directors has declared a cash dividend of 23 cents per share of common stock, payable on May 12, 2022, to shareholders of record as of May 9, 2022. With that, let's open the call to questions. Thank you, Luca. We ask that you limit yourself to two questions. Operator, may we have the first question, please? Absolutely. We'll take our first question from Katie Hubert with Morgan Stanley. Yes, thank you. Congrats on the quarter. I have a couple of, of macro-related questions, just given everything that's going on in the market. The first is on how you're thinking about consumer Spending as we see more stock market volatility, rising interest rates, inflation. What metrics are you watching, either internal to your business or or external at the macro level, to understand whether you'll ultimately start to see some demand impact, particularly on the product side of your business? And then I have a follow up. Hey, hi, it's Tim. Uh, we're obviously um, monitoring uh, our daily sales very closely. Uh, from an inflation point of view, we are seeing inflation. It is or was uh, evident in our gross margin last quarter. 
and in our optics last quarter, and it is assumed uh, in the guidance that Luca gave uh, for this quarter as well. So we're, we're definitely seeing uh, some level of in inflation that, that I think everybody is seeing. And how are you, how are you, just as a follow-up to that, how are you thinking about how that might impact you know, the consumers in your business and, and whether it influences their ability to purchase at the same level? Well, we're monitoring that closely, and we've sort of, uh, right, right now, our uh, main focus, frankly speaking, is, is on the supply side. Okay. And as it, as it relates to that, in China, how should we think about lockdowns from an impact on supply and an impact on on demand and, and what products in your portfolio should be expected to be most impacted? Thank you. Yeah, good question. For Q2, so the quarter that we just finished, uh, the restrictions in China had not started yet. And so Q2, we did have supply constraints. Uh, they were significantly lower than what we had experienced during the December quarter. Uh, they were uh, driven by industry-wide silicon shortages, and, and specifically the, the issue that I talked about on uh, previous calls uh, with the legacy nodes. Uh, but looking ahead, we see two causes of supply constraints. Uh, one is the COVID-related disruptions, and there's the industry-wide silicon shortages that will continue. Uh, we've estimated the constraints to be in the range of four to eight billion. And if you these these constraints are primarily centered around the Shanghai corridor. Um, and the, the uh, on a positive uh, front. Almost all of the affected final assembly factories have now restarted. Uh, and so the range, the four to eight range, reflects various ramps of getting back up and, and running. Uh, we're also encouraged that the case count that's been reported in Shanghai has decreased over the last few days. And so there's, there's some reason for optimism there. Thank you. Pretty amazing how the team has navigated all the all the cross currents and on the quarter. Thanks so much. Thank you, Katie. Can we have the next question, please? Thank you. We'll take our next question from Amit Dariani with Evercore. Yep. Um, good afternoon, and thanks for taking my questions. Uh, you got two as well. You know, first of all, hopefully you just touch a little bit on the geographic uh, growth vector that you saw. In I think America's grew really well, nineteen twenty percent. Uh, Europe and China had much more muted growth, if you may. Uh, I, I know you compared with early physical computers. Is anything you would call out in terms of, you know, spillover effect on the macro side from Russia, Ukraine, and Europe? Have seen some impact to consumer spend, or even in China? Just helpful to understand what happened geographically there. Uh, so, I mean, um, in, as you said, in the Americas, we had a very strong quarter, uh, up 19%, you know, very, very happy. Uh, across across the board there, uh, Europe uh, again was uh, a really good quarter for us. We we grew five percent, despite of the fact that, of course, as you know, uh, during the month of March, we paused our trade in Russia, so we had a, an impact 
about its results there for a month of the quarter, but a number of European countries, particularly Western Europe, did uh, really, really well uh, for us. And so um, it, it, was, it, it was a very good quarter for us, pretty much in line with our expectations. Americas was better than our expectations. Uh, China was, again, a, a much better record for us. Uh, keep in mind, and, and this affected every geographic segment for us, the different launch timing for the iPhone this year versus a year ago had, a, had an impact on the March quarter results uh, because we launched uh, the product later a year ago than we did this year. So some of the channel scale for the new products happened during the March quarter uh, a year ago. Um, Japan and Asia-Pacific were affected by foreign exchange. Japan would have grown in line with company average. Uh, in constant currency terms. Uh, Asia-Pacific as well was affected by foreign exchange with the dollar appreciating against most currencies. Um, and then again, this difference in the launch timing for the iPhone uh, made a difference. Keep in mind, again, the, the supply constraints that we had uh, in the results would have been obviously better without the supply constraints. Overall, we felt uh, very good about the performance around the world. If I just follow up on the supply chain, the $48 billion impact that you, that you folks talked about, um, you, do you think this is demand that's stored out or demand that's essentially destroyed because you have a product that is going to come out in, you know, at some point soon this year? Uh, how do you think about demand deferred versus demand destroyed on that front? Um, and then, you know, is there a sense of which product categories are most impacted by this versus not? It will affect uh, most of the product categories. Um, and in terms of whether it's we, whether we can recapture or not, uh, we believe that uh, there's a percentage of it that is recapturable and a percentage of it that is likely not, where somebody needs something quickly. Uh, and that that ratio or that percentage uh, is very difficult to estimate. Uh, we obviously try to do that in, internally um, to, in order to, to demand plans. It's not something that we uh, share. Got it. Thank you. Thanks, Amit. Can we have the next question, please? Okay, next question from Chris Kreisel with Raymond James. Yes, thank you. Good evening. Uh, also, just wanted to dig in on the supply constraints a bit. Um, and, and I guess one of the things you said is that the $48 billion range reflects some reopening of facilities during the quarter. Uh, I know, obviously, it's, it's tough to predict as, as you go forward into the second half of launch of new products. But at that point, would you expect the constraints to still be mainly on the component side, and then hopefully if things don't get worse in China, then um, the, the, the facilities are open and, and uh, the constraints are only uh, the component constraint as you go into the second half of the year. Yeah, Chris, it's hard to answer a question about unannounced products. So I'll, I'll try to not do that. But the uh, – Yeah, the, so all products, yeah. The, the four to eight is simply as – uh, as, as I mentioned, that if you look at the uh, this the Shanghai corridor, 
we have some final assembly plants in this area, and almost all of them have restarted is the, the good news of it, working with local officials. Uh, but we've planned various ramps for these, and that that's the, the range of four to eight that, that we've estimated. Hey, guys, thank so you. COVID, COVID is um, difficult to predict. For sure, for sure. Um, as a follow-up, I wanted to, to also follow on some of your comments regarding inflation and how Apple is, is, is dealing with that. Obviously, uh, component costs have been going up in many different areas. And, and then specifically in, in the semiconductor side, uh, costs have been going up for some different reasons because uh, of traditional costs going up uh, to, to, to new process nodes that they're it's higher than and has been in the past. How is Apple planning to deal with that, and, and is it possible for you uh, to get through that without either you know, raising prices on your product or uh, affecting gross margins? Well, uh, some of what you said is is in the results for the last quarter that that we've announced, and obviously uh, we've uh, put our current thinking in the current quarter guidance that Luca uh, listed earlier. Uh, there are component costs that are falling and ones that are rising, and so not all of them are moving in the same direction. And so we, we really try to manage to the net of these. And uh, I, I think we're doing a, a reasonable job currently navigating the uh, what is a, a, a challenging environment. Thanks, Chris. Can we have the next question, please? Thank you. Let's finish question from David Roy with UPS. Great, thank you guys for taking my question. I just wanted to begin a little bit on the product disruption, the four to eight billion. In the past, you kind of gave us a sense for how it would affect each of the different product lines, and should we expect to have similar pro rata impacts? And is there an opportunity to maybe reallocate resources to limit maybe some of the impact on the iPhone line, and then maybe versus the iPad line? And then I have a quick follow up. It'll affect uh, most of the product categories. Uh, and uh, we obviously uh, will look to do any kind of optimization that we can do to minimize the, the effect on the, the user. Great. And then just as a follow-up, you know, you talked about COVID-related design issues in China and, and taking out 150 basis points from Russia. You know, when you look at the other geographies, there's anything that you can share with us, whether it's in Western Europe or the U.S., that you're seeing from a demand perspective that may be sort of out of the ordinary or outside of sort of the disruptions and the lack of product, um, you know, demand seems to be sort of where you would think it would be at this point in the cycle. Thank you. We were happy with uh, the iPhone growth last quarter, uh, particularly when you uh, think about the comp that it was going against because we had – very different uh, timing on the launches in the year ago quarter where we launched in Q1 and therefore naturally Q2 is at a different place on the on the new product curve and so it was a very difficult comp and so we were we were pleased with it and as Lucas said the the 
America's uh, geography did did quite well uh, last quarter, and the, the U.S. of course is the is the major uh, geography within there, and so the the U.S. was uh, quite strong last quarter. Thank you. Thanks, David. Can we have the next question, please? Take our next question from Jim Suvo with Citigroup. Thank you. Uh, Tim and your entire company has done a great job at navigating through all the issues the past several years, whether it be COVID, power outages, trade wars, shipping challenges, and all that. When we hopefully someday get past all of these and these supply constraints in society and, you know, turmoil, hopefully, across the world, do you start to reconsider the way you do the supply chain, albeit, you know, just-in-time ordering and outsourcing so much of your chips? Do you actually consider, like, holding more buffer inventory internally? Because right now, you know, letting four to eight billion go away, it'd be nice to have that to be able to sell. So do you consider holding more buffer inventory or maybe even doing your own chips by outsourcing your own chips to control them more? How should we think about strategically when hopefully the world's in a better place from today? Well, I, I'm looking forward to that day, as, as I know all of you are. Um, our production is truly global, and those, so the products are made everywhere, and uh, we, we do a lot in the U.S. Uh, we'll probably be doing even more here as more chips are, are produced here. Uh, and we continue to look at optimizing. We learn something every every day and 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 make changes. But when you when you back up and kind of zoom out and look to see how the supply chain has done within the environment that you eloquently uh, talked about, I think it's been very resilient. Uh, with, with the the top issue we've had clearly is the silicon shortage that I, I think uh, everybody's struggling with, and I think we've done a, a really good job of managing through the, the COVID piece of it. And, and so, but, but we are learning, and we're making, making uh, some changes as we go. We, we don't have a 10-year, and so to the, to the degree that we learn something that we should change, you can, you can bet that we're doing that. Uh, in this business, you don't want to hold a ton of inventory. Uh, it's in, and so you want to, to work on cycle times and so forth to do things very quickly and take strategic, uh, inventory in, in places where you need to, to, to buffer for interruptions and, and so forth. And so we're constantly thinking about where those places are. In, in today's world, it's not really possible for us to to have buffer on silicon. And so today, silicon rolls off the, the fab and it's, it's into a final assembly plant very, very quickly. Uh, and we try to make that as, as short a time as, as possible. And then my quick follow-up, we've been talking about supply chain issues for multiple quarters now. Are, are you kind of hearing from your suppliers that maybe later half of this year or we're actually going to go into kind of 2013 for some closer equilibrium time period? 
I wouldn't. You're talking about for the, the silicon shortage in particular, I assume. Uh, I don't. I, I don't want to. I don't want to predict that because the that entails knowing uh, how worldwide demand and supply are for the whole in, for industries outside of even the industry we're in. And I, I don't pretend to be an expert in that. Uh, that also heavily is influenced by how strong the economies are in the, the different markets. And so uh, I think there are varying levels of outcomes. And uh, what, what we're focused on is doing, uh, trying to do very well regardless of, of how that question is answered. Thank you, and congratulations to you and your entire team. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jim. Can we have the next question, please? Thank you. Okay. The next question from Static Chatterjee with JP Morgan. Hi. Thanks for taking my question, and congrats on the results as well. I think two more micro-level questions here. First uh, time you talked about the iPhone SG3 and the new the product that you just launched. I was hoping you could compare how what you're seeing in terms of moving to previous iPhone SE cycles. Really, I think in the past, North America has been the largest region in terms of demand, what you're seeing with the current product in terms of demand by geography. And I have a quick follow up for you. Yeah, we don't get to that level of granularity because we, we uh, view it to be, uh, you know, sensitive data that our competitors would love to have. And so, I'm going to punt on uh, answering that question. I, I would just say that when you zoom out and look at iPhone as a total, uh, we're, we could not be happier with the iPhone 15 family of products uh, and the strength we've seen for this cycle. Uh, and, and really, it's, it's those products that have, that have powered the line and given us the, the overall results that we've had on iPhone, which for the first half, the revenues were $120 billion. And, and we feel, uh, you know, very, very good about those results. Uh, and I follow up for you. Uh, we are seeing sort of a setting in terms of growth rate for the services uh, on the platforms that you have. You also see some cross margins there, certainly around this sort of 72% range. Uh, and I'm sure there are a lot of moving pieces beneath that, but is this sort of a good range of services long term, or are there sort of moving pieces there that as they scale, we can take a, uh, there is an opportunity for more opportunity? Well, we feel really great about the momentum for our services business. Um, I was looking at the absolute numbers here. Uh, you know, that this run rate of almost 20 billion is essentially double what we had just four years ago. So we've done really, really well with services. We have a lot of momentum for a variety of reasons. The first one is the fact that our install base of active devices continues to grow very nicely. And so that is uh, obviously a big engine for our services business. The second thing is that the level of engagement that we see on our platform uh, continues to grow. Uh, we have more transacting accounts, more paying accounts, uh, more accounts with subscriptions. The absolute amount of paid subscriptions on our platform uh, is pretty impressive, 825 million 
increase of 165 million in the last 12 months alone. So you can you can tell that this is uh, great growth. And of course, as you've seen over the last few years, we've added a lot of new services, and we plan to add new services and new features that we believe that our customers will love. And so we think that's great, absolute great momentum. The growth rates can change a bit, especially during COVID, because we've gone through some cycles of lockdowns and then reopenings and so on. And so sometimes the comps can be a bit deceiving. Uh, we are looking at it from the lens of, you know, continuing to satisfy our customers, adding to the portfolio, improving the quality of the services. And that has served us very well because in the last 12 months we've generated $75 billion of services revenue. And you've seen the margins uh, are obviously accredited to company margin. So we feel good. Uh, we feel good about, uh, about the services business. I mentioned in my prepared remarks that growth rate for the June quarter we expect it to be less than 17% that we recorded in uh, in March for some of the reasons that I described. Of course, foreign exchange is an issue with the dollar being strong at this point. And, and of course, you know, we paused uh, for sales in Russia. So we, we need to take that into account. But in general, when we look across the board, uh, we set all-time records, quarterly records for each one of our categories. Thank you. Thanks, Samik. Can we have the next question, please? So hi, thanks for taking my question and congrats on the really strong results. I have some questions too and I do apologize the first one is on supply constraints. Um Luca, if I try to read the T V is based on June quarter guidance, revenues being impacted, kinda of implies year over year down revenues. And you also spoke about a four to eight billion dollar supply constraint, which is a large amount compared to the revenue. And I understand you have the supply constraints and the China shutdowns. I'm just kind of curious. Do you think the last three quarters, Apple supply chain had a better buffer inventory of semis um, that kind of got used up, and now you are kind of more, you know, uh, tied to whatever the true uh, supply constraints of legacy semis is, or is there something else going on? And then I had a follow-up. Um. What you know, what has happened obviously during COVID has changed over the quarters. Uh, recently, uh, for example, during the March quarter, the uh, constraints that we had were limited to silicon shortages. Uh, when we are giving now this range of four to eight, uh, it's not only silicon, but it's the, the restrictions in China that we're seeing right now. So they are different, you know, there's just uh, additional constraints uh, at this point that we are seeing because of the COVID situation. So it's, uh, that, that is uh, the fundamental difference there. Got it, got it. Very helpful. And then, um, and then as a quick follow-up, you know, um, with the shutdown, especially in places like China, have you seen actually the app stores or your services business actually conflict positively, uh, or is it uh, too short a time span to make a judgment call on that? Yeah, I think it's early uh, to tell. Uh, the restrictions in China started 
very end of March, so it's very, very early to tell. Sorry, got it. Thank you, Luca. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Can we have the next question, please? I got a question from Wanzi Mohan with Bank of America. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, thanks for the color around the impacts, um, or the revenue guidance. But I was wondering if you could share a, if you expect to grow overall revenue in the June quarter on a year-on-year basis. And just to be clear on these impacts that you gave, those are on a year-on-year basis. Uh, can you also tell us how much FX is a headwind, if any, on a quarter-on-quarter basis and incremental Russia impact quarter-on-quarter basis and incremental supply chain impact also on a quarter-on-quarter basis. Kind of a follow-up. Well, you know, as, as we said, we're not guiding to a specific revenue number, and but you know, just to repeat what what I said during the prepared remarks, and we having supply constraints that are caused by. With COVID-related disruptions and at the silicon shortages, um, and that is that is what is creating the constraints. Uh, we're expecting to be in the range of four to eight billion. Uh, it is substantially larger than what we've had during the March quarter. Again, let me repeat: the, the COVID-related disruptions did not affect uh, the March quarter. So we need to keep that in mind. Uh, with respect to foreign exchange, uh, we expect it to be nearly 300 basis points headwind. It was about 200 basis points headwind during the March quarter. Uh, for Russia, we said that the impact on a year-over-year basis is approximately 150 basis points. That reflects three months of the quarter. Uh, you know, we, we pause sales in Russia beginning of March, so it's, it was a partial impact on uh, on the March quarter. So obviously, Christmas special days is it's a it's an incremental factor to keep in mind. I would say on the positive side here is that the demand for both our products and services is solid. Uh, Tim has mentioned a number of times the iPhone 13 family is having a really strong year. We uh, when we look at Top-selling smartphones around the world. We've had incredible results during the March quarter. The top six models in the United States are iPhones. Uh, the top four in Japan. The top five in Australia. Five of the top six in uh, China, and so on and so forth. So, the iPhone 13 has been a, truly a global success. And as you know, and as you can tell, even from our website, most of the iPad and Mac models. Our constraints today have been constrained for several quarters because the demand is very good for those products. And the services business, as you know, is growing double digits. So that's, uh, that's what gives us confidence, uh, you know, for the, for the June quarter and, and, and going forward. Okay, thank you, Luca. And as a follow-up, um, Tim, you're in a really enviable place of being pretty far from your net cash neutral objective, uh, at the same time you're generating a significant amount of cash flow every year. Uh, so your capital return strategy has been extremely successful program in the past, but, but $90 billion is 3% of your market cap. And on the other hand, there are just a lot of assets that arguably have a lot of synergies with Apple in, in the healthcare space, 
or the fitness area like Teladoc or Peloton or, or Netflix and content area. But why is this not the right time for us to perhaps look at such assets instead of buying that stock or maybe? We're, we're always looking and uh, we'll, we continue to look and uh, but we would only uh, acquire something that we're strategic. Uh, we acquire a lot of smaller companies uh, today and we'll continue to do that for IT and for great talent. Uh, and but we don't discount doing something larger either if the opportunity presents itself. And so, but I don't want to go through my list with you on the phone, but we're always looking. Thanks, sir. All right, thanks, Lonzi. Can I have the next question, please? I'll take our next question from Kyle McNeely with Jeffries. Hi, thanks very much for the question. Uh, this one's regarding Mac. Um, great quarter with the results, by the way. Um, some exciting products coming out for sure. Uh, we're noticing that there's, the lead times are longer for Mac now or today. There's some available now, but um, many not shipping to June. Just want to get your insight on how much of that you think is driven by the strong March results with the product launch and likely sellout conditions versus just the tightness in the supply chain. The obvious follow-on to that is when do you expect you might catch up and get back these times back in the week? Well, we're working working hard. We've got uh, lots of customers that we want to get the uh, new backs to, and uh, so we're, we're working hard on them. They are a result of the combination of the COVID disruptions and the silicon shortage that we talked about before, and then uh, we might uh, remedy that. I don't. Uh, we're not really forecasting when we can be out of the silicon shortage. That would be a difficult uh, answer. I think the the COVID piece of it, I hope, is uh, is is a transitory kind of issue. Uh, and so I I would hope that it would get better over time. Great, thanks, Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. Can we have the next question, please? Thank you. I'll take our next question from Ben Bourne with Cleveland Research. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for taking the question. Um, the first one is on services. Uh, I'm hoping you can share a little bit of perspective on how much of the services contribution is Really, consumer versus enterprise, and how you think about the, the longer-term opportunity to monetize uh, the enterprise community. And then, um, Tim, for you as a follow-up, um, consumer. Because I asked a question earlier about some of your strategy, I was curious how strategy might have evolved since everything's been going on. Uh, what changes you might have seen as of late with respect to, to freight and um, into the geographic production and any evolution that has happened as of late. Thank you. On the on the services side, of course, you know the vast majority of what we do in services is to final consumers. We do uh, understand and appreciate the fact that the enterprise is a is a great opportunity for us. Very recently, for example, we launched this uh, a new subscription service here in the United States, which we call 
up to business essentials, where essentially we provide support to small and medium-sized businesses in terms of uh, 24-7 support, uh, device management, uh, uh, you know, for small business owners, which we think, um, you know, small companies will will value and, and appreciate. Um, obviously, we sell Apple Care to enterprises already today. But we know, and enterprise in general as a market is a very interesting market for us, and uh, we're putting a lot of effort and focus on it, and we believe we have uh, really good opportunities to grow. Uh, Jim, you brought up uh, freight. Freight is a, a huge uh, challenge in today, both from a inflationary point of view and from a availability point of view. And so uh, right now the, the focus is on moving the freight to customers uh, any way that we can, can do that. Over time, we'll do that much more efficiently, and I would hope that the, the fundamental rates uh, reset some, both, both, and I'm talking about both ocean and air. And, and so both of them have come under uh, some significant inflationary pressure, uh, partly, partly due to COVID. Uh, and, and some other reasons as well, I would guess. Um, and in terms of geo production, we are constantly making tweaks here and there. And I, I don't want to go into the details of those because we view it as be sensitive kind of information, but we're, we're constantly making moves to, uh, optimize in the, in the current environment. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. The replay of today's call will be available for two weeks on Apple Podcasts as a webcast on apple.com slash investor and via telephone. The numbers for the telephone replay are 888-203-1112 or 719-457-0820. Please enter confirmation code 180-7633. These replays will be available by approximately 5 p.m. Pacific time today. Members of the press with additional questions can contact Josh Rosenstock at 408-862-1142. Financial analysts can contact me with additional questions at 669-227-2402. Thank you again for joining us. This concludes today's conference. We appreciate your participation.